0: Good morning, church. Whoa, that sounded like the 8 o'clock crowd. I said, good morning, church. There we go. That's much better. Look, if I have to do all the preaching and the amening, it's going to take me twice as long. So that should, that should put the fear of the Lord himself into all of y'all. Let's, let's get after it. We're continuing our series called Life on Mission. This morning, I'll be talking about how to share. And what some of the mechanics of that look like, um, I'm going to be using text from Acts chapter 8. And in Acts, the 8th chapter, the 120 kind of disciples that meet in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 are scattered. And Philip, one of those guys, goes to Samaria. And in the town of Samaria, his ministry is blessed. God just outpours huge blessing on his ministry and so I'm calling this the deluge which would just be a torrential downpour sometimes the flood during the days of Noah is referred to as a, as the great deluge and this is a time in life where God is using you to do things much greater than those you are capable of doing your own self this is present in my life right now in two different areas um, the first is getting the opportunity to work at this church and minister to you guys and have a role here has been and continues to be just one of the greatest blessings of my entire life and I love what I get to do and it's just the point in my life where when I really take a look I'm so thankful and so blessed to be able to have the function that I have in a church as well-known and gospel-centered and excited about the Lord Jesus Christ as you guys and I want to personally thank everyone here today for, for not letting my preaching or my humor scare you out of this church building the other area in my life where I would consider God just to be outpouring a a supernatural blessing is in my hunting career in my hunting career now there are three guys that I need to thank Josh Hudnell. Okay, Dan Chasen, I'm not sure if he's here, and David Bowles. Now, each of these guys have willingly put a firearm in my hand and gone with me out into the wilderness. This is like putting a blowtorch in the hands of a blind guy and asking him to weed your garden with it. You know, the house is on fire, the field behind the house, the whole town is burning down. And so, but these guys have gone out of their comfort zone, they've welcomed me into their inner sanctuary. And they've discipled me on hunting. Now, let me tell you this. In my hunting career, the last four trips I've made, I'm batting a 1,000, church, okay? Nobody laughed. And I appreciate that you feel like I'm being candid about the fact that I'm batting a 1,000 in my last four hunting trips. The last trip I went on, I'm talking to you about where God is outpouring blessing in my life. I went on a squirrel hunting trip with kind of the quintessential outdoor woodsman guy, Josh Hudnall. And he's like, look, and please tell him I said that. I'm dogging on him a lot, but he's our Celebrate Recovery Director. He's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. Crazy enough to give me a gun and take me out in the woods. And so he's like, look, Trent, it's not that hard. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, maybe for you, Josh. It's not that hard. You're just going to go out. You're going to look for an oak tree. There's going to be some acorns on the ground. Just kind of sit up there and you're going to hear a squirrel cutting, and you need to ask him to do this. And I was like, can you describe to me what that sounds like? And he's like, when a squirrel cuts, it sounds like... And so I got this, like, 35-year-old woodsman, complete camo, face paint, firearm, and he's going... So I couldn't resist. I'm like, dude, could you do that again? I just, I'm not getting it. And so then I had to go revisit something that he said. I'm like, Acorn, now, we don't have those in Kansas. Can you give me a sense for what exactly that is and he looks at me and he's like what do you mean you don't have an acorn in Kansas I'm like well I've, I, I feel like I could recognize an oak tree maybe but the acorn thing I don't know that I would know about and so he's trying to explain it and I'm like man I'm just not getting it can you spell it for me so he's like a-c-o-r-n I'm like oh an acorn an acorn is what I'm supposed to be looking for So this was a lot of fun, my son and I go out, and and the reason this has been such a huge outpouring, a blessing in my life, is because I get to do this with my son Adrian, and we have more fun than a human being should have out in the woods, Uh, and so we're sitting by a tree, and he falls asleep, and I'm kind of looking and listening for the, and so I hear some, and my heart starts beating, and then I see a squirrel, I'm like, bud, there's a and so he gets up, and he's looking around, and then just right where a guy like me could actually shoot it, the squirrel like pauses. And so I get the gun, and I throw up a prayer, and boom, and the squirrel drops. And my son and I are kind of looking at each other like, did that seriously just happen? <laughs> so we run to the bottom of the tree, we can't find it anywhere, and then it just like, you could have seen this in some like comedy or, or, or you know, like Peanuts, you know, comedy strip, Adrian's like, dad, where's the squirrel? And I'm like, what? And the squirrel jumps out of a tree. I fire like two more shots. I got it. The only person more surprised than my son that I hit the squirrel was me. And so I've had the opportunity to just get out and hang with my son and hunt and fish and just do really cool stuff that I know Trent, in and of himself, wouldn't be really capable of doing. And I've had the help of some great friends. And I also feel like God's opened some of those doors. And so this is kind of a way of just just punctuating how God, if you'll let him, can do really incredible things with you in your life so this is what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 8 verses 4 through 8 with Philip let me read to you this morning those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went that's the 120 Acts chapter 1 verse 15 They were in the upper room and then they get dispersed Philip goes down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed they all paid close attention to what he said For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. The first thing in Acts chapter 4, the Bible records is Philip went. If you're going to live life on mission, and you are going to point men and women who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ to Christ, and if they're going to obey the gospel, you've got to go. And that's what we've been talking about in this Life on Mission series. First, you've got to connect. Connect and then you've got to serve and so here we see Philip immersed in community in the homes or areas where these people lived, and he's doing just that he's connecting with them and he's serving with them. and what's the people's response they hear the words he's saying and they see the things that he's doing and this is the connect piece and this is what we're going to talk some about today. And what is God doing as a result of Philip's obedience to the commission, to living on mission? God has taken an ordinary guy and doing something extraordinary. Demon-possessed men are being freed from those spirits. People who are paralyzed, people who are ill, people who have been maybe afflicted for years are sitting under his ministry and God is changing them and he's healing them. And there's no way an ordinary man can have that kind of an extraordinary influence unless the same spirit that resurrects Christ from the dead is working in him. It was working in Philip, and that same spirit working in Philip can work in you today if you'll obey the gospel and live a life on mission. Now, some of us, if we're in Philip's position, we're wanting to go from from the deluge in Samaria to the palace in Rome. And I'm wanting to sit right in front of Caesar himself. And I'm wanting to say, Look, I handled those guys in Samaria, the, the, the most difficult population to minister to. I conquered now. Caesar, I'm ready to talk to you. But what happens in the life of Philip is not that. He doesn't go from the deluge to the palace, he goes from the deluge to the desert. Listen here in Acts, also in chapter 8, Philip is, taught, is, is interfaced by an angel of God. And an angel of the Lord says to Philip in Acts 28, verse 6, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here, Philip is doing this incredibly anointed ministry in Samaria, one of the most difficult, hostile places for a person like him to go. This is unwelcome territory. These are foreigners who didn't appreciate uh, people from Jerusalem coming and, and, and talking to them. And Philip's just being blessed, and God's doing something incredible. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, God, send me to the next best thing. I'm ready for even more outpouring of blessing. And God says, no, I need you to go to the desert road. And some of us are really fired up when we come to Christ and we're ready to live life on mission and connect with others and share and serve and lead and grow and encourage and feel joy and live in life-giving community. And then God sends us through a dry season and we throw in the towel. And some of you have been living through a dry season for 29 years. Would Robbie George please Stand up. Robbie, are you under are you in here this morning? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to turn your head, turn your heads to the left, and I want you to give Robbie George a round of applause this morning. <laughs> Robbie, you're the guy. You're the guy. All right, you can you can sit down, Robbie. Robbie has on a Kansas City Royals jersey. For the last twenty-nine years, the Kansas City Royals have been wandering around in wilderness. It's been a desert land. The year was 1985. Kansas City was playing St. Louis in the I-70 showdown in the October Classic. It was the Royals and the Cardinals and the Royals. God parted the Red Seas and the Royals won the World Series. After that, the Kansas City Royals apparently stopped playing baseball. This year, the Royals are 2-0 and in the ALCS, I think, if that's the right. All right, Robbie, come on. And it looks like they may really best, the Orioles, and get to the October Classic, the World Series. Robbie has hung around with these guys for the last 29 years. And 29 years later, he has seen his faithfulness come to fruition. Now I'm 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 using a Kansas metaphor because they're so Kansas is such a rich state for metaphors. <laughs> but there are a lot of us who, who have have been through extended seasons of, of of dryness and loneliness in our faith, and we've been the fair weather fan. We've walked away. Because it's not as encouraging, it's not as uplifting, it's not as exciting. We've been in the deluge, we've won the World Series, and we're just ready for the World Series to keep going and going and going in our personal faith. And so often God leads us from the deluge to the desert. You have to be able to stay on mission both in the deluge and in the desert, church family. There's as much purpose to be had, in other words, during times of blessing and feasting and outpouring as there is to have purpose during times of dryness and perceived famine and loneliness. And we as a body of Christ cannot let ourselves be discouraged by the enemy when God's leading us through a a season of dryness. And what we see here, I think, for for lots of Christians, not only do we lose a sense of purpose in the desert, but our pride gets in the way. I'm bigger than this. I'm educated. I've led, you know, 15 people to obey the gospel or 5,000 or I've spoken in front of thousands or I've led small groups. And now God's just calling me to connect, serve, and share with my neighbor or God's just calling me to connect, serve, and share with the lady checking me out at Walmart or the guy who's pushing my cart out at Brookshire's or the person that cuts my hair. And, and, and it's our own pride and our own sense of our own self-worth that keeps us from being on mission in a desert place. And so you've got to be able to stay on purpose. You've got to be able to maintain your purpose of being on mission even if you're in the desert. And you've got to be able to leave your pride at the door to make it through the desert the way God wants you to, which is on mission. And so what do we see here? Philip goes from the deluge to the desert, and it's in the desert he meets the guy that God has designed him to be able to minister to. And he has a dialogue. The dialogue is this, Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. What if Philip had gotten so discouraged in the desert, and what if he was so backward-oriented that he was focusing on the time of outpouring and blessing, what I'm calling the deluge, that he walks right by the chariot, and he doesn't notice that this is a guy that needs Jesus. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with you to get you distracted from the dialogue that you could have right in front of you and thinking about times past or poor me or why am I not prepared for this or doing this. And so Philip comes up to this guy and he just asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And So up to this point in living life on mission we've talked about connecting and serving. There hasn't been a lot of Guidance in terms of exactly what to say, and this is the part where words come in to play. This is how we communicate as human beings. Now yes, our communication is much bigger than the words that we speak, but if you're going to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're going to obey the gospel and put on Christ, they got to know how to do it, and you've got to say what it takes I love the quote, it's attributed to uh, St. Augustine, when evangelize always is the quote, and when necessary use words. I love it, because I think often talk is cheap. But in the book, there's a quote by a guy named Ed Stetzer, uh, president of uh, Lifeway Research. He's planted multiple churches, he's got two doctorate degrees, and he says this about the quote of... Saint Augustine he said I like the quote evangelize always and when necessary use words but that's almost like saying I'm gonna feed the hungry and when necessary use food sometimes you've just got to know the words to say now when you know the words to say what Philip does is he knows the words but he's also very curious he, ha- he has a sense of wonder about this guy the Ethiopian eunuch, who's the treasurer of Ethi- of the Ethiopian Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. And he just walks up to him and he says, hey, what are you reading? He's curious. He has a sense of wonder, so you've got to know the words. You've got to have a sense of wonder. The first thing that I think is important to realize here is you don't have to have a doctorate in theology to know what to say. You don't have to have been a minister of a church of 5,000 or 200 or 10,000. You don't have to have gone on international missions you don't have to have written a book you don't have to have led a small group or or a house church or taught a Sunday school class you just have to be a little bit curious and you have to be on mission and so the, a couple of things I would say the first is be intentional have a sense of wonder and be intentional don't be curious about people and not ask hey how how, how are things going hey can I help you with anything today Open up an opportunity to really start a dialogue with somebody that could potentially lead you to sharing the good news of Christ with them. And then the third thing I want to say is this yes, you've got to use words. Yes, you've got to have a sense of wonder, be curious about people, and ask good questions. But then the third thing you've got to have is wisdom. You've got to have wisdom. Let me tell you what, church, every time I fly on a plane, when I get on the plane I want to go by the pilot and I want him to know that there is a right way to fly the plane I don't want to get on a ship I don't want to get on an airplane and have the pilot say hey you look like you're kind of a smart guy which I get that all the time hey you look like you're kind of a smart guy let me tell you what I've been flying planes for about 20 years but I'm just at this place where I don't want to impose my truth or my reality onto your reality man so I'm gonna do my best at just sitting in the co-pilot seat and I'm gonna let what you kinda think and feel sorta surface up and we're gonna have a dialogue about that and we're gonna use some of your feelings and thoughts to guide us on how to fly the plane I would get off the plane faster than most people should leave the premises when I have a shotgun out in the woods or how about this you walk into an operating room And the doctor says, wow, I have done five of these surgeries today, and I've realized that I've imposed my view on how to do this surgery onto every single patient I've successfully treated. And I am tired of pretending that my truth on how to do surgery is the truth. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the scalpel, and we're just going to have kind of a dialogue about surgery and what are you feeling and thinking about this and what are the implications for your life. And I'm just going to let you kind of do it. And I'm going to watch, and I know based out of the nature of our interaction, something is going to happen that I'm betting is going to be really helpful to you long term. Now, in our culture, when our life is at stake, we want to be led by people that know the solution. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible says this, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I read that and everybody, most people were also silent at the 8 o'clock service. What if I told you, church, that I knew how to cure cancer? And I had the solution to that life-threatening illness. Y'all would be knocking down my door. What if I said I could cure AIDS? What if I said I had the answer to curing the Ebola virus? It would be all you could do to prevent yourself from running down here right now and kidnapping me and forcing me to go to my stash and claiming it as your own and then you making a huge profit... I'm telling you that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the cure for the human condition and it is a life-threatening illness. Jesus came to this earth fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect, sinless life for your sins and mine. He was crucified. He was buried for three days. And then he rose and he's coming back again. And the world is dying and lost. And this is the only truth that's going to save them from their lostness. Let's get on mission! Let's pretend like we really do have the answer for the human condition and that his name really is Jesus and that there's nothing as fulfilling as sharing that truth with somebody who is lost and who is dying and who may not even know it. And that's your destiny. You know, there's a lot of theology on planet Earth. Man, everybody, everybody's an expert. And there's conjecture. Well, what's the specific will, and what's the plan? Here's here's Philip living out his destiny right here. Acts, thirty four and thirty five. The eunuch asked Philip, "Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about?" Remember, this guy is reading from the book of Isaiah. Philip comes up, "Hey, what you reading?" The guy says, "Please, I want to know who who is the prophet Isaiah talking about himself or someone else." Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I joke around all the time. I'm I'm an addict in recovery, and I tell guys, there is no high like the most high. And that's the truth, church. There is nothing on this earth that can compare to you connecting with somebody, serving them, and sharing with them the remedy for the human condition in his name is Jesus Christ fast forward the tape of your life to to the point in time when you're on your deathbed where you lived isn't gonna matter what you drove is not gonna matter how much money was in your bank account what you did as a profession the style of clothes that you wore how good of a, of a huntsman or huntswoman you were isn't gonna matter What's going to matter is the legacy you're leaving, and there's really only two questions to ask about the legacy. Was I immersed in Christ? Did I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and did I point others to Him, or didn't I? In the forward to this book, and I'll conclude with this story, uh, Rick Warren wrote the forward to Tim Harlow's book called Life on Mission, where we're drawing lots of our material from. And Rick Warren, you know, is arguably the most influential evangelical in the United States of America has done so much for the cause of Christ and lives on mission himself and he says that one of the things that inspired him the most to live life on mission was the legacy his father left as he was leaving this world and passing into the next and and Rick Warren said "I, I made it to the hospital and my dad is on his deathbed and I walk into the room and I feel the the heaviness of the atmosphere and and I lean down to tell my dad I love him and I hear him whisper something and so I said he says I turn my ear and I listen really hard and then I hear the words that he's saying and with every breath he starts to say one more for Jesus one more for Jesus one more for Jesus and Rick Warren would go on to say that it's the legacy of his father's commitment to living on mission that inspired him to work tirelessly to live on that mission also so I don't know if you're on mission I don't know if you're in Christ but if you are after I dismiss us in prayer and we sing I want you to take this opportunity to come forward and let us talk with you and and disciple you and and lead you through that process and and if you're out there and you're on mission but you've been walking through those 29 years of wilderness and it's time to rekindle the fire and rededicate and recommit and resurrender to the mission then we want to pray for you and encourage you and surround you and connect you with people who can encourage you as you're doing that whatever your need this morning after I pray while they sing take this opportunity now let's pray Lord God we love you and we thank you so much for your word and especially for the Lord Jesus Christ And God, I thank you so much that our mission is clear, that we've got to love you and we've got to point others to you through your son Jesus. If there are any under the sound of my voice that have not been saved, I pray that you would empower them to remedy that today. And God, if there are any under the sound of my voice who have lived on mission but have felt like they've been in the wilderness or in the desert place for a long time and they need to be encouraged I ask that you'd compel them to come forward as well. Minister to every need under the sound of my voice today and through the rest of this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.